Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Hello. Oh, there you go. There we're on. All right. Um, how many people have heard that song before, Daughter by Pearl Jam? Please raise your hand. All right. We are all Gen Xers. That's officially how you know where you belong. Who's never heard that song before? Really? Wow. You're welcome. You're welcome. I just told Nita, I'm like, how many churches in America play George Strait and Daughter by Pearl Jam? And I said, this, this many, I should say. Population one. All right. There's my man right there, George Strait. So that's going to make, <laughs> I love that picture. It's going to make sense, trust me, in a little bit. So um, we are continuing our series in the book of uh, Romans. And if you missed it, three weeks ago we did an introduction where I went through like two big themes. Um, and then two weeks ago we went through Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, which is what we call one of the six clobber passages, um, verses that are used against queer people. And, um, and then last week Valdez gave an outstanding message that was like an offshoot of Romans that was called Including Yourself and um, Others. And it, I thought about it multiple times which is what I believe uh, art or um, a message should do. And today, we are uh, going into chapter 3. We, we're not going like, I just saw online a church that said, we do verse-by-verse verse teaching. And I'm like, that, that, that would be long. <laughs> they get through a whole book, we'd be here for several months. So we're going through like big themes in Romans, um, and then talk about the, how they intersect with our real life, and how um, it impacted the church back then. But to get... As an introduction about chapter 3, um, and I strongly encourage, we're not going to read the whole thing. I encourage you, to, if you have time, to read through it um, it's, uh, and read through the book of Romans if you'd like to follow along. Um, but I thought as a way of introducing it, um, I would talk about myself. Imagine that. So if you don't know me, I am a uh, high feeler, which means I just cry a lot. That's is essentially what it means. Um, and I love love. Even yesterday, we were watching... Um, uh, crazy stupid love. You've never seen it's great. And the whole at the end, there's like this whole scene where he's standing in front of his son. He's telling everyone about how his son is a lover and he's a lover uh, with different people. And uh, uh, and I just started crying. I love love. And so when I find inspiration, um, and I'm very loyal. That's the other thing about me. I'm loyal to a T. So when I find something I love, I am like right there with it. So it's not a bit uh, when I say I love Chub Lake or I love Carlton. If the Carlton Bulldog, there's a statue in front of this um, historic school, uh, and I would give up my life savings to buy that statue, right? I'd put it in my front yard, and I would be the coolest person in Esco by far, right? Because that is art. It is art, right? Um, <laughs> so it's really it's not a bit. I, when I find something I love, I really love. Like, for my family and my friends, even just yesterday... Nikki was talking about how we are very rich in friends. And I love that idea because when I find someone I love, like, like we're, we're going to be loyal to them. But then there's like little subgenres of things I love. And like I love music. I play music every morning. My kids love my music, trust me, at 7 a.m., right? And I, even this morning, I, like, I turn it up and I'm like, they're going to have to deal with it. Um, and I, I will get into like genres of music for um, eras or times. And once it was, and I still love jazz, but it was jazz, um, then it was like hip-hop for a little bit, and for the past like year, it's been my man, 
90s country, right? And I just, I love it. You want to see some hard eye rolls? Is watch my daughter when I put on, um, uh, oh, Kira, what is the name of this station that you guys don't like? Um, the Duke. That's right. <laughs> Solidarity. I love, the first time I ever heard the Duke, we were on the way to Wisconsin Dells, and I'm like scanning through stations. All of a sudden I heard him like, oh man, this is a banger. And then another, I'm like, this is a banger. And I'm like, what is this magical station? And then hand of God, like three months later, it came to Duluth. I take responsibility for that. So, um, but I, I really, really like 90s country, right? I can just turn my brain off. And I didn't like it in the 90s when I was in high school. So I feel like I'm making up for lost time. Um, but do you have these things where you like find something that you really, really love and you become loyal to it? And I've seen people, they become loyal to something like my man George Strait. Uh, but then it can become a part of their identity. And that's not inherently bad. But it can move into this space of where it becomes a part of your identity, your core identity, where you say, 90s country is the best. And anything else is garbage, right? And you're like, sorry, Shania Twain, you should have tried earlier. 2000 is too late, right? And you're like, sorry, Afro-punk or funk. You, are, you missed the boat. It's only 90s country. Then you, it's a us versus them thing which this is a horrible analogy for Romans chapter 3, all right? Because this is what Paul is doing. Paul is saying that it can only be 90s country, and that's it. And anything that's not 90s country is out. And if they want the best of this church or this community or God, you have to get on board and become 90s country. And why it's a horrible metaphor? Because Paul is talking about a rich history and faith and belonging and culture of the Hebrew or Jewish people, right? Very different than 90s country. But actually, through Romans 1, 2, and 3, he's building this argument. The way Paul wrote Romans is kind of like you're in an argument or you're in a trial. And he's presenting uh, like evidence or arguments that all build off of each other. And he's like spinning this, this really tight thread that is actually very, very explosive, because Romans has been used um, to support anti-Semitism uh, historically. Because if you read, especially chapter 3, if you read through it and you isolate a passage, you isolate a scripture, or you go into it thinking, hey, I'm going to prove uh, that Paul is saying that the Jewish faith is irrelevant. You can find it if that's how you proofread a text. What Paul is doing is no way, shape, or form saying that you have to leave behind your Jewish culture or heritage or faith. Not at all. But he's saying, what if there's something wider? What if there's more, right? And you can imagine how this could be explosive. Because one, the, the commentator in the book, um, one of the books I'm using, <laughs> it's funny, Hannah Gotti, this is what they said. They said, imagine me. If you don't know me, I'm a bleeding heart, progressive, and liberal, right? Um, and it never comes out in my preaching. So, uh, and they said, what if you're a progressive person and someone came up to me, Jamie came up to me and said, Hey, Chris, um, what God told me is that you can never read the New York Times ever again. In fact, the only way you can get your news media is through Fox News, right? Exactly, right? And it, it go the opposite. If someone who, like my, my buddy Charlie, right? He's my, my uh, conservative friend. If I went to him and said, the Lord saith unto thee that you have to only get your news from the New York Times and you can never do Fox News, he would never talk to me again, right? If that feels explosive... All right? Or it feels like, ooh, 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 imagine about your heritage, your faith, generations and generations and generations of exile, enslavement, 
uh, temples being torn down, being in oppression in Babylon and by the Romans. It's by a, a trillion. And so Paul is trying to bring this whole idea of we. He uses the word a lot, we. And the way he is trying to bring some, um, uh, what's the word, like um, universality, the way he's trying to bring all people together, um, he starts by going about how bad and how evil humans can be, right? In chapter one, he talks about murders. We talked through about pedestry. A couple weeks ago, he talks about slanders. And he says, like, look how horrible. We can all agree that these people, right, do evil things, right? And then chapter two, he, uh, Paul says, yeah, you judge those people, but by the way, you do the very same things, and suddenly you're just like totally okay with that. In chapter three, he goes through about the propensity, uh, the, the propensity we have as humans to screw things up. Like we can do toxic, violent, evil things. And he goes through, um, uses several different um, references from the book of Psalms to talk about how depraved we can be, right? And... Uh, and then he gets to the point, he says, well, is this only resorted to people who follow the law, the Jewish people, or the Gentiles? Remember, Gentiles is just anybody who's not Jewish, right? It's just like wide sweeping term. And he says, no, all have, full, this is Romans 3.23, right? If you're an ex-evangelical uh, from youth group, you remember this verse, right? Um, uh, For we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And why is he doing this? Because if you ever like trauma bonded with someone, you ever got together with your friends, and do you like do you start by talking about like all the amazing things that all your other friends are doing? Usually you start by saying, "Did you see what she was wearing? Oh my God, she did not pull it off!" Right? You're gonna. It's easier to connect with people at what you don't like. It's not the best trait of being a human, but it's an easy one to connect and bond with people over something that you bothers you, something that you hate, or something you despise. And Paul's bringing like this trying to bring all these people together saying all of us have the propensity of screwing things up right because he's trying to help the gentiles and the jewish people in this church to understand there's something that unites us but then he goes on but like if that's true maybe there could be something that's on the other end something even better something even more sacred or beautiful that can unite us and so paul uh goes to this uh goes to this crazy idea of circumcision at the end of chapter two, right? If you're unfamiliar with that, um, look it up. Actually, don't look it up. <laughs> right? Um, but he talks about it because he's trying to remind his um, Jewish brothers and sisters and non-binary friends of, of who they are. And where it starts is God makes a covenant. And if you've never um, read anything about this covenant God made with Abraham, it is absolutely beautiful. I actually... After writing this message, I'm like, we should do a whole thing about it because it's, it's really, really stunning. But God goes to Abraham, and he says, I'll be your God, and you will be my people. And you are going to be a light to all the nations, and you're going to multiply, which is very, very important because everything you're reading about um, the Hebrew people starts with this covenant and this promise of God saying, you'll be my people, and I'll be your God, and you'll be a light to everyone, meaning this. From that point on, the tribe of uh, Israel, the people of the Hebrew people, are meant to be a representation of what this God looks like. This is what a God does. This is how a God shows up at a birthday party. This is how a God would show up to an immigrant. This is how a God would show up when someone is hungry. And they use the law, the Levitical law and the Ten Commandments, as a way of helping people 
navigate in real time of how to respond to one another. So instead of they, they uh, kill your cow, so you go and kill th- their family, right? Instead of there being this escalating violence, there's clear ways of how the community and the individual can flourish. And why? Because they are representing who God is. And God and the Hebrew people are co- collaborating together of showing the world of this is what God looks like, right? Because this is a God who's different than other gods. This is a people that's different than other people. Now, in the Old Testament, did they nail it 100% of the time? No. I, the, I, I put them at like a 5%, right, that they hit out of the park, right? Because they commit genocide, and they do horrible things. They enslave people. But the intent from where it started is God saying, you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. And the way they demonstrated that, the way that they could prove to people, the way that they could remind themselves that they are a people of God was through circumcision. It was a physical mark on the body in a very specific part of the body, right? Uh, if you've never read the first time circumcision happens in the Bible, that is also wild. Um, no, no more on that. So, um, uh, but it's a physical way of demonstrating to the world that I belong to God, right? Paul, at the end of chapter 2, uh, one of the major themes of Romans is Paul uses the Hebrew Bible and, like, helps people reimagine. We've held, believed it to be this way, but what if it's so much wider than we, that we ever thought? And at the end of chapter 2, he says, circumcision, big fan of it. Let's go. Party on, right? He said, but what if circumcision of the body, what if there's something even more to that? So he doesn't exclude one, but he gives a higher way of thinking. He goes, what if it's a circumcision of the heart, right? And why does this matter? Because if, the, if circumcision is a physical evidence that you are inspired and belong to this God and this God belongs to you, Paul's now saying, what if, what if it could be a circumcision of the heart? Meaning, what if the heart was the physical representation that we belong to God, that we are the people of God? How can you tell what someone's heart is? How they show up to work, how they treat their dog, what kind of racist jokes they say or they don't say, what they post on social media, how they show up for people in need, right? You look at the fruit of their lives, it's kind of funny. It's like Jesus said something similar, like they're going to know you're my friends by the way you vote. No, no, he didn't say that, right? You know know you're my disciples by the way you get angry at librarians. No, that's not it either, right? Know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And that is, again, that is this universal language that's not like how you love people who you prefer, how you love people who vote like you, how you love people who uh, have a little bit more money than you. It's like how you treat one another. And who's one another? Whoever is right in front of you. And the way you love is going to determine or is going to tell the world who you belong to and what kind of God you are, or not you are, what kind of God that you worship. And I love this, because what Paul is saying is keep your faith, keep your tradition, keep your culture, and instead of saying, yes, we love 90s country music, but maybe we can include Shania Twain's 2000s and say that's equally good, which is not true. But let's say we could, all right? He's saying keep your religious, your, your Jewish faith and culture and practices that are beautiful, but don't put it on someone else who also has a religious past and culture and the way they do birthday parties and how they eat and what holidays they celebrate when they don't. Instead of saying, well, you have to come and be like us, we call that assimilation, he's like, we don't need to do that anymore. Why? Because what unites us 
And what unites us is this whole idea that he introduces in chapter 3 of justification by faith, which is like this hugely, that's not even a word, it's a very, very critical, important term when it comes to Paul's theology. And what um, just, justification by faith means is that we are made just, we are made right, not by what we do or don't do, necessarily. It's by faith. And what is faith? Faith is the idea of awakening to a reality. It's embodying a truth. It is orientating your life around something. And what is that? Paul argues it's the person of Jesus. And the, the commentary I read, I've never thought about this before. When he talks about God, he doesn't use the word, like we use the word here, good and beautiful. We have a good and beautiful God that wants nothing but good and beautiful things for us. Paul doesn't use that language. He refers to God as being just or being righteous, which to be just or to be righteous means it can't just be a static thing. Static meaning this will always be good. This practice is good and this practice is bad forever. 90s country music is elite. Everything else is garbage, right? That's a static way of thinking. Instead, it's this nuanced thing. In order for God to be just and righteous means God has to be aware of what's happening has to be that God is collaborating with people, with the universe. God has to be uh, in practice, in rhythm with what's going and helping and prompting and nudging all creation towards its fullest self, towards love. And since there's a God who's done that, how did God do that? Through the person of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. And because of who Jesus is, we, we are made uh, righteous. We can find, we, we, have, we are justified by faith. And he uses a term that this is so, for all my Bible nerds, you're going to buckle up. So, um, and, and it's called, I think we have a slide for it. Is it um, faith in Christ or faith of Christ? Have you heard this before? This is brilliant. The Greek word for in or of can be interpreted one way or the other. And so Paul says, since we have faith in Christ, we are made righteous. We were justified by faith, and what's that faith in? It's our faith in Christ or of Christ. And you're like, oh, Mr. Slaughter, what's the difference? Which one's true? Yeah, both, right? Here's the difference. To have faith in Christ, which I do deeply, right? I have faith in Christ. I have faith. I embody. I wholeheartedly believe. I orientate my life around the fact that I believe Jesus um, is a historical person. I don't think that you have to, right, in order to have faith in Christ. I happen to be a historical Jesus guy. I believe that he was about liberation, and he was about inclusion, and he was about love, and that he died on the cross, and that he resurrected, and I believe that he physically ascended into heaven. You can disagree with me, and it's totally fine, right? That's what I have my faith in that. But here's the, the one problem with that. I know a lot of evangelicals um, who say, yes, I have faith in Christ, but you have faith in Christ doesn't mean that you have to actually do anything that's Christ-like because it's just in faith and faith alone. And so I've talked to a couple of evangelicals about um, uh, climate change and how do we take care of the earth. And literally what they respond with is saying, well, how does it benefit me? I know where I'm going, which is a really toxic way of saying I have no responsibility because I'm going to heaven. And that's the only thing that matters because I have faith in Christ. And everything else that happens, burn the place down. I don't care. I know where I'm going right? Which is a way of uh, cutting yourself off from any kind of responsibility of when it comes to politics, right? Politics matter, right? When it comes to making your neighborhood better, making yourself better, finding out how you can be, how you can flourish, how you can help like the actual ground around you grow and thrive. Because you're like, oh, I just have faith in Christ. Instead, 
I have faith in Christ, and what I believe Paul's saying actually is that we have to have faith of Christ, which means we have to have the same faith that Christ had of this good and beautiful God. Because the difference then is if I have the similar faith of Jesus, that informs how I show up in a room, right? That dictates how I am online. That dictates of when someone bothers me what, how I respond. Because what did Jesus do? The faith that Jesus had in God informed how Jesus showed up. And how did Jesus show up? By believing women, by empowering people, that, like reminding people that they have inherent worth and beauty. And you know what the problem is with this? People started believing it. It's what got Jesus killed. There was a group of people saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean we have agency over our body? Like the whole, I mean, I'm getting off point. The whole argument that people use about God hates divorce, right? I hope this encourages someone or inspires someone. When Jesus talks about divorce, I think it's Matthew 19. When he talks about divorce, he's not making an accusation that divorce universally is, is bad and evil and horrible. What Jesus is doing by saying that, he's empowering women that they have agency over their bodies. They have responsibility if they are in a toxic, violent marriage that they can say, I am a human. I'm worth something more. I cannot swear on camera, right? I am more than this person the way they're treating me. This is a radically progressive way of Jesus empowering those who didn't have any agency. Why? Because only the men could get, the men can ask for a divorce. They need two witnesses. And on the spot, the woman's out. The man gets everything. The woman's out on the streets. Jesus is advocating for marginalized, vulnerable people. Right? That's faith of Christ. And we are made righteous when we move in that faith. So to me, it's, it's a both end. Faith in Christ. And I believe in the, the majesty and power of Christ. But it's also how I live my life. And when I move in a place of love, Right? circumcision of the heart, if the results of what I'm doing is love, there is heaven. Why is this good news? Because uh, I, have, I have a friend named Jen Birch, and she used to tell me, I bring it up all the time, um, she used to tell me, she goes, Chris, sometimes you got to let that freak flag fly, right? And that's, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you hold true to what you believe to be love and where you find inspiration and sacredness, and the result of that is love and inclusion like Christ? Paul's saying, what's the downside? And just because someone else is a slightly different, well, vi- dramatically different than you, and the result is love. What centers us, what unites us, is the person of Jesus. And we have a Jesus-looking God. And who is God? Who's God to you? What is God? Love. I was going to prompt you. Anytime there's love that's present, is heaven. And isn't that what we all want? Don't we just want to be heard and believed, respected, seen, included? Like when I think back to like 15-year-old Chris who just wanted people to notice me and I did all the weird ways of doing a 15-year-old. I had a, had a huge afro, uh, right? I had a, a, what do you call the um, disco ball necklace. I wore like, I wore, um, what do you call pants that flare on um, Bell bottoms. I, I did everything like 10 years later that was super cool. I just did it way too early, right? I'm a pioneer is what I call it. <laughs> but I did all that because I just wanted to be loved so desperately. And I would act it out in ways that would 
get some attention or get some laughs, but all I really want is somebody just to sit me down, look me down and say, Chris, you are loved, right? Because that is heaven. And what happens, what, what Paul is speaking to is what modern, well, I shouldn't say modern, what Christianity can be, and for large parts of it is, saying, hey, you want, you want the best of God? You want the best of church? You need to leave your life behind, right? You need to convert, which is another word for you need to assimilate. Be like us. Worship like us. Uh, the things that we laugh at are okay. The things we don't are evil, right? And they say we're using the Bible. We're, you, we're worshiping God, and God demands we do these things, which is just another way of saying uh, you have to come and worship God in the way that we've decided to worship God. It's just their interpretation. And I've seen that do, so actually, I've seen it do some amazing things for people. But more, I've seen it, it alienate people and bring a lot of toxicity. What Paul is saying is I, the kind of church I've always wanted to be a part of, and I happen I get to lead one of them. It's a church where the real you can be sacred and holy, right? If what you are investing in is bringing love, what a beautiful thing. So things that I could never say before, like, like, 10, year, like 10 years ago, Chris, like if you have, uh, I have friends that have, um, you're not supposed to call them rocks. They're crystals. Thank you. I started out with you're not supposed to call them. I'm a great communicator, right? Um, they find crystals. And if you find crystals, and it, for you it brings energy, and it brings peace, and it helps like remove your anxiety, and it brings love, awesome. Go for it. Right? If I talk to a guy who um, found out I was a pastor, and he's like, oh, no, which is a very common response. When people have, we find out I'm a pastor. Oh, no. Um, and, he, and I said, what, what's going on? He's like, I, I, happened, I just got really into um, Nordic uh, theology, Nordic gods, Nordic spirituality, is what he said. And I'm like, that is amazing. Tell me more about it. And he just, like, like blew up. He's like, are you serious? Right? Because if it leads in love, what's the downside? Right? If you find belonging by running on a trail in the middle of the woods and singing hymns, go for it, right? If you find like, inspiration through reading the book of Proverbs, one chapter a day, what a beautiful thing. As a pastor and as a Christian, for way too long I felt pressure of to be this is good, which means then who I am is bad. And this is essentially what Valdez talked about last week. Instead, we could say, who I am is good and beautiful. And I am made right when I move in a place of love. Why? Because there's a God who demonstrated what a good and beautiful life looks like. And that's the person of Jesus. So what unites us is love. What unites the church in Rome is love. And they don't have to turn down who they are. They don't have to stop being who they are. And so they can be fully who they are by including other people. Which concludes... That 90s music, country music is the best. Amen. So I'm going to pray. And uh, I say this every week, and I, and I mean it sincerely. Um, and it's also to people online as well. And if you're listening to the podcast. Um, if there's something that I say that you, like, inspires you, or it, you're like, I don't know about that, we can, we can process that. We can talk about it. You can email me. You can text me. You can reach out through our website. Um, and if you'd like something in your life that you would like prayer for, 
you can come up and we can pray like right here or I'll pray for you throughout the week. And when I say I pray for people, it's not just like that blanket statement like, yeah, stop talking to me. So I'll say I'll pray for you. I literally I still pray for students of mine that told me something like 17 years ago. So um, I just like to give that um, invitation. So let's pray. So, God, we absolutely love you. And I thank you for this uh, beautiful and complicated and odd at times book of Romans. And that what Paul is inviting uh, this church, and I believe even us as well, is that we can collaborate with you and with one another in making beautiful places. And we don't have to always conform or evolve or assimilate into something at the best of you. Because who you are is, has always been within. It's in me. It's in each other. And when we can affirm the, the beauty and the humanity and the, the radiance and the glory of God in one another by believing and respecting and empowering and inspiring, there is love. And I pray for my friends who at this moment might feel unlovable or they're in a space of feeling not valuable. Holy Spirit, will you come even now? I pray that you would revive and inspire and awaken the love that has always been there and that is there. And I pray that you would use us as neighborhood church as a community of friends, as individuals, that we can go out into the neighborhoods, into their workspaces, and we can remind people that they are loved as well. In your holy name, amen. All right, thank you, friends. Enjoy your weekend.